Ashley. I have another question. Um, Hugo Chavez has been in power, I guess, in Venezuela for almost seven years, I think. He's coming mm-hmm. up for re-election right away. I was just wondering if you have any idea why it's taken the United States so long to denounce Hugo Chavez and why he's all of a sudden this big guy. And, like, why it hasn't been like that for the last seven years? Because they they thought that it, it would be just, you know, uh, an anecdotal um, story. It would be something like he will just last for a, a couple of, a year maximum, okay? They have, uh, he has had so many, uh, he has a coup d'etat against him, uh, the recall of his election, and all these supported, obviously, by the United States. There's okay. a famous documentary about uh, the so, coup d'etat and yeah. the role of the media. What's that called? Have you? No. Has I anybody don't. seen it? Yeah, I, I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. The thing is... What's that? The revolution will not be televised. That's what it's called. All right. Okay. So this, the thing is that they, I think the American thought it would be just, you know, like a couple of years or a year that he would disappear, that he will not last. But he's... It's been it backfired. It backfired, obviously, uh, and uh, it under, the United States underestimated the power of the willing willingness of the Latin Americans for change, and you have seen that. And it's clear that his constituency is the poor people. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, who love him? Who, who uh, and he's polarized. That country is polarized. I mean, they, they, there are some people who really hate him, and there are people who love him. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the people who love him, obviously, are the disenfranchised and the poor people who ha- see an opportunity to better themselves, uh, mm-hmm. to change the system. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, oh, go ahead, Anders. I, uh, I have a question. It, it goes um, back to what we were talking about before regarding the internet and this sort of many-to-many communications. Um, I, uh, although I should say as an aside, Alberto, I certainly uh, um, am with you as far as the, uh, the value of theater and activism. It's interesting how the, the Talking Heads action was a success. Well, I guess I would say the beauty of theatrical actions in general is that they're always a success because you never need, there's never a need for, for 500 people to come out to the rally or for 6,000 signatures on the petition, these kinds of things that are fairly... Um, would be more common, perhaps, but really, if only 50 people come out to the rally, then, you know, the media can look and say, well, I, I guess no one does care about this issue or whatever, whereas the beauty of theater, of course, is that even with two people, um, you, it's a success because you weren't trying to get any more than that. Uh, I've done a number of actions myself, but it, um, that's, that's sort of aside from, I'm interested in where activism goes how much is created on the internet as far as, um, say, what we're doing, different chat groups. How does that, and I guess I don't really see it yet, at least, really culminating in specific actions. What I see is local groups meeting one-on-one. Um, James and Ashley were both at, at mine and Shannon's place this past weekend um, organizing things for the, the upcoming couple of weeks. The internet then serves, you know, in this case and on coming up on the 29th as a vehicle to go on from there, but doesn't, I guess I don't see it so much as, as a, um, a real seed to, to create that, that togetherness. Once you have something going, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic vehicle. Um, 
And so I guess I'm, I'm just sort of putting it out there that, that I think actual organization still happens locally amongst, you know, finding activists that you actually know because you're, you know, getting together talking about the similar problems. I mean, the value of the internet as far as finding out what other people are doing and getting ideas and, and sharing in that way is, is indispensable. But I don't know whether I see it being the real nexus for, for um, people actually organizing on when it comes to specific actions and, uh, you know, with specific targets. I mean, it's sort of, it's almost spread too thin in a way um, to have the kind of cohesion that you need to do specific actions in a specific area on a specific issue. Andy, I, I recall when we met, you talked about one of your actions, something about rolling a barrel of oil over many miles, and uh, so it was a one one person action. And you mentioned that you got a lot of uh, news coverage. Can you talk about that action or a, an action of your choice as a give us some of your own experience? Sure. Um, that one in particular was two years ago, April, uh, and. It actually came out of very much my own thought process, thinking that I'd read a, a Parkland Institute report about um, giving away the Alberta advantage, how we charge, in Alberta, we charge less uh, lower rates of, of rent, they actually call it, um, but most people consider it royalties, then, and specifically, it, it compared Alberta with Norway and, and uh, Alaska, because these are similar, similar states, if you will, to Alberta as far as um, oil and gas production, population, this kind of thing. And both of those places were sort of charging more, basically keeping more within their state for their own populace and, and giving, uh, well, I guess giving the, uh, the petroleum companies a smaller piece of the pie. And I read that and I, um, that and then I'd heard a lot of things about pumping freshwater downhole. And I kind of thought, well, what does it take to be heard? And so, I imagine that if a person walked around in a scuba suit for a day in front of the legislature, that someone would come and ask, why are you in a scuba suit? And then you'd have your, your, your moment, your 15 seconds to say your bit. And it just evolved from that to something a little bit more symbolic. And as I, I grew up in central Alberta, so I actually, at, right at the end of the school year, I, I, I pushed an oil barrel from the, the doors of Red Deer College out onto the highway and then all the way, it's 150 kilometers to, to Edmonton and, and to the steps of the legislature. And of course, did all the media things correctly and, and so on. I mean, people knew about it in advance and um, the media was, was there that for the kickoff. And each day I did three to four interviews roadside. Um, some of them, of course, because it was a multi-day event, you know, I, I had an interview with 630 Chad, sort of Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I can remember being on the highway with chatting with CBC and, and of course, they would ask, well, where are you at now? And at that time, I happened to be about 5K north of the Morningside overpass. And so I said this. Well, then, for the next little while, cars were going by honking and pointing to their radios because, of course, they were make, driving up to Edmonton and had just heard on CBC, oh, I'm just up north. And they're like, oh, I'm coming up to Morningside. Well, where is this guy? And another lady stopped and, and uh, brought a sandwich and, and brought me a sandwich and a bottle of juice while I was pushing this. I, had, I just had the drum on a, on, a, on a dolly, but she said, oh, you must be hungry, and this is great. And it was the beauty of a multi-day action because people, there was an intent, intense amount of visibility, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of cars. My, on the back of my follow vehicle, I had a sign that said, honk to vote Ralph out. 
um, because I knew that people whizzing by would wonder and would needed, I needed to be able to deliver a message to them as they went by. But I also wanted to strip naysayers of their ability to naysay. Because if you go by someone on the highway, and, and for example, if they'd heard about me on the news the day before, and they thought, well, I don't think this SOB should be out there, you know, we love Ralph, and your only real option on the highway is to honk if you want to show anything. And so by putting honk to vote Ralph out, all honks were in favor of me, and there was nothing really that, that anyone else could do. I mean, they, if they honked, then I assumed that was in support. And so, so I kind of spun the reaction, but also allowed other people that wanted to show support to know that they could feel free to honk. And, and over, the, over the course of the week, there was hundreds and hundreds of honks to maybe three fingers. Um, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it, it ended up being 13 days of, of coverage in total from the first time. I mean, Whoa. my friends heard about it on the radio a few days before. And, and I did it as, I mean, I'm a diehard NDP supporter, but I, I did it as just a, a citizen action so that there wouldn't be any, any spin. And, I, and, and when, I, when I would talk... Fun, even, it's all about spin, spinning the barrel and spinning yeah. the media. That's what you're trying to do. You're well, well, it was, but the other thing was I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to be marginalized in any way. And, and even when I, like when I was in NISCU, you know, I remember talk, chatting with some, some uh, rig pigs and, and chatting, you know, and they were saying, what are you doing? Well, Ralph's done all these good things for us. He settled the debt and all this. And I said, look, all I'm saying is more of the pie should be staying in Alberta. So I, I spun the message myself to, to be a very pro-Albertan um, position, just saying, look, we should just have more of the money here. Does, does, does you know, oh, fine, fine, whatever, Ralph, but... Does Petro-Canada deserve and Shell deserve more? No, I think more should stay here. And, and that had universal appeal that really everyone could agree with. Um, Why is it that Alberta has such a lower rate of royalties than uh, Norway, uh, I, I presume in Mexico? I can answer, I can answer that yeah. question. Um, what happened was that we, um, we had a decent royalty rate um, through the 70s, through Lougheed. But then with the crash of the oil in the 80s, which was, which of course, if you talk to the conservatives, they would say was the fault of Ottawa and the National Energy Program. But frankly, it was a global crash. It, it uh, by no means, it, it, it uh, politically was, the timing was poor as far as the NEP coinciding. But when, when oil tanked in the, mid, in the early mid 80s, um, basically everyone closed up shop and jobs in the economy in Alberta just took a nosedive. And so when Getty came in in 85, he dropped the royalty rates. He basically put oil on sale in order to encourage uh, people to start drilling and, and to get things going because, you know. Do you have specific numbers? Do you have specific numbers? Like well, I, I don't have the. 20% or 50%? To... It, went, it, it went from 467 per unit of, um, per unit of, of oil or gas from $4.67 since down to it was a dollar I think it was a dollar 25 and then and that that was a, during a time of, of real economic recession and that was to get things going again by the time Klein came in in 92 oil was very much on the rebound and certainly by 94 95 things were you know the mid 80s oil was down to 11 and 13 dollars a barrel well by by the early mid 90s things was oil was at like sort of a 
25 28 30 dollars a barrel so so things were fairly stable but the, those sort of sale prices never came off and that's that that's sort of the problem i mean getty i would say did what he felt he needed to for the economy at the time but then it was never in Klein's interest to bring those rates back up and so while everyone else and the study specifically targets um, 92 to 97 compares Norway Alaska and, and Alberta from the five years of 92 to 97 on their various rates and as well as as the the heritage fund and of course each of these three states is squirreling away the nest egg but but the other two are squirreling away tons more I mean I mean billions and billions more and uh, and and even Alaska which is funny when you're charging less when you sort of have a lower tax rate it's not taxes but then then an American outfit then you have to wonder I mean it's the the comparison is quite valid um, the, the fact is that we never that, that our rates never came back up I mean I haven't looked in the, for what the last five years um, for where the rates are at but our rates have never rebounded to what the going rate is comparing it to those other states you mentioned Andy uh, that uh, fresh water is being uh, exploited and in a sense destroyed uh, pumping the fresh water into uh, these wells to push to essentially flush the oil up to this closer to the surface where you can get it mm -hmm. uh, you know this is a highly um, controversial use of one of the most valuable commodities arguably more valuable now fresh water in some parts of the world even than oil um, maybe I could use this as a segue to introduce Jonathan Veal John Veal who I noticed was uh, uh, trying to get in earlier and and uh, we went to you um, John if you're still there and it's possible he's not there but uh, he's off on the uh, on, on my right um, can you maybe we, you can introduce your uh, you're doing an applied studies in 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 our work together um, and on April the 5th uh, we should have a focus on water and globalization um, is this can we can you introduce us to this subject of how water is being uh, exploited to uh, in favor of oil extraction the fresh water resources of Alberta are being sacrificed to advance oil uh, exploitation uh, certainly um, I guess the first thing that you have to know, understand about water is that there's different kinds of water and the biggest factor about water is whether it has salt in it or not and how much salt is in it. So ocean water for instance has a lot more salt than most sources of water. Now all of the water in Alberta that we use, there's two types of water as well. There's surface water and then there's water underground in aquifers or, or whatever the case is. And because the water in aquifer comes from um, ancient seas or oceans or generally when Alberta is always a sea um, has different varying degrees of salt in it now uh, using water that has uh, salt in it is ideal because really we can't use salt water for human consumption for the most part and if you do it takes a lot of energy to to convert salt water into fresh water now where I said there's different kinds of water there's water where um, it has salt in it but it can still be used by people or it can't be used by people but it could be used in livestock operations or it can be used in agriculture but it can't be used in other ways so technically um, as defined by the oil industry fresh water isn't used in extracting oil because as you know you need to, you need to superheat the water to steam 
pressurize it into the into the ground to pump the oil out, and then that water replaces the oil. The the oil becomes um, the what's left over is very toxic, sort of sludge or whatever. And uh, there's a whole bunch of environmental issues with that being mixing between fresh water and oil and all that. But uh, the big problem is is that industry gets to define how water, what is fresh water. Now, just be, so what they say is, well, if it's got salt in it, it's not good for people. But but uh, what you can do is is there's very simple processes that can that can take water that is relatively fresh that has some salt in it and convert it to fresh water. But that water is still used in oil oil processes. So let's say you take, depending on whatever kind of oil extraction you're using, you can pump several, up to 10 barrels, 20 barrels, 30 barrels of water to get one barrel of oil out in Alberta. So Alberta, um, particularly southern Alberta, we, fortunately we generally have gas here, but Alberta isn't actually an, a jurisdiction that has a lot of water, at least surface water. A lot of our water is trapped underground, and that water can't be, isn't recharged very quickly, isn't uh, regenerated quickly. So if we take all of this water and we suck it out of the ground and pump it into our oil, uh, oil to get the oil out, that water can't ever be used again. At least for several million years, it will never ever be utilized again. So the looming environmental disaster is that we don't have a lot of water. Um, a lot of the water is used in irrigation, a lot of the water is used in all sorts of processes. So I guess what I'm saying is that uh, we're talking about water and how we, so we're talking about royalties or, or rent or whatever on, on oil. The big problem is that the true cost of this oil isn't coming out, which is what the big issue is. The true cost to Albertans about using, um, getting this oil is that not only do we get a barrel of oil, but we lost 10 to 30 barrels of water to use, which is a huge problem because we don't have a lot of it. And the way the world is going, um, a fraction of 1% of the world's fresh water um, is, is being uh, tainted, is being destroyed, is becoming unusable. And contrary to our, our beliefs, um, water is not an infinite resource, it's finite. And so this is, a, this is a huge problem. So the segue is that on April the 5th, or is that the metric concert? I can't remember. But uh, April the 5th, I believe, is our class. And uh, we're talking about water and the global commodification and privatization of water. So hopefully you'll all be there. I spent, I spent several weeks making videos and reading books mm. that Tony, Tony gave me. And then he challenges me on the books. And then I have to go back and reread them. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Very interesting what you're saying because uh, within the context of water privatization in, in Latin America, for example. Nicaragua is, uh, uh, three years ago I did um, a, a couple of months research on water privatization in Nicaragua. We were trying to do a movie and we got some funding from um, the NFB, but we couldn't continue it. And uh, we have a lot of footage where, you know, people were organizing in Nicaragua to fight against the privatization of water because um, water actually, even, even the underground water was being privatized in Nicaragua. Uh, and it's like, Nicaragua is kind of one of the places where privatization and globalization and new liberalism uh, tested a lot of the theories about, you know, development. Uh, and so water it became a huge fight in Nicaragua because people were people who who um, were using lakes, for example, uh, a particular lake 
in central Nicaragua, which it was man-made lake. Uh, to make that lake, they had to uh, displace a lot of indigenous people. Okay? And then when the lake was made, it was to create uh, electricity. Okay? And so that lake, after it became a source of, source of uh, uh, food for the, for the indigenous people who started living around the lake. So but that lake became privatized in Nicaragua. Okay, and so uh, the indigenous people were pushed away and a fence mm -hmm. uh, was placed around the lake. So lakes are being privatized, the uh, underwater um, sources, aquifers, aquifers uh, and the distribution of water. Okay, so there are people in Nicaragua who cannot afford water. Okay, they, they had to pay all the, their month income to, to afford water. Okay, so it's a, it's a problem you're saying about the, uh, about we're talking about Alberta, but also it's something that is happening throughout the world. I mean, the and war the war waters in in, the, in in South Africa. Well, the mobilization of uh, political forces in Bolivia, which Absolutely. have now culminated in the election of Evo yeah. Morales, yeah. who's a whose real constituency is the coca growers, mm -hmm. and coca is. Uh, deeply integrated in the Indian culture, as you know, of, yeah. of that part of the world. Um, but it started with, as I understand it, um, in the late 90s with a push to privatize water, and it was, you know, the famous Bechtel Corporation. It was privatized, but it was, that was taken back. What that was yeah. uh, in the process of privatizing, taking over the system and starting mm -hmm. to charge for a commodity that, or not a commodity. Uh, a necessity. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you you could imagine water, we need water, water is, a, without water we can't live, we can't, uh, so is, is water a human right, mm. or is water simply to be a commodity available if you okay. have money, and if you don't have money, what happens when you can't get water? Um, so, so anyway, in Bolivia, this uh, movement, and it was largely an indigenissimo movement against the privatization of water, and then one thing led to another. It seems that you know water and oil. I mean, yeah. have you read Blue Ball? Yeah, yeah, of course, by Maud Barlow and yeah. Tony Clark. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. that's going to be the next war. Yeah, it's well, not going to be the war. wars of the 21st century will be over water yeah. um, and air. Air. I, <laughs> we haven't commodified that yet, but is yeah. that on the? Uh, For sure. Yeah, that, that's on the list. Um, <laughs> so it's now 8:30. I'd be, uh, and we didn't take a break. So uh, shall we um, uh, call it uh, a night? Uh, the reality that uh, the essays are coming up and that uh, I have for most of you, but not all of you, uh, book reviews, and hopefully uh, 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 James Moore handed those back to you. Yeah, I have them here. Yeah, so, so, uh, so getting that, those uh, handed back is uh, important. Yeah. And uh, it's not too long uh, that the essays will be due, and uh, there's quite a detailed discussion of uh, what you might write on or how you might go about selecting a topic. Uh, I'm leaving it quite, uh, quite open. I've got about 27 topics uh, listed in, uh, in the possible themes, but I'm, I'm open-minded about uh, possible topics. Um, I've written a five-page essay myself on globalization, and I thought that might uh, uh, be a stimulus uh, or an, uh, provide some ideas that 
you could bounce off of or react to in developing your own uh, commentaries. Obviously, you're going to have to define a topic narrowly enough that you can handle it realistically in 10 or 12 pages. So um, it's uh, that time of year where uh, the pressures become great and everybody acts a little bit uh, uh, psycho from uh, now to the end of term. I, I think uh, you know it's 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 sort of panic time. Anyway, we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and we uh, we try to um, and, and we keep our, we keep in the business of education. Yeah, <laughs> we keep the business. Before we go, I have a unless yeah. we can key onto the computer here. I've got a two-minute clip here that you're all going to find interesting. It's uh, bringing us back to healthcare, and this is. Uh, remember, Ralph Klein refused to speak about it because it was much too complicated to bring up in the election. Well, here's the uncomplicated version of what he's up to. Is it on? Computer? It was. We had it. Yeah. There we go. Solid. Yeah. <laughs> you had it again. Yeah. No sound. No sound? Okay. Okay. See you next week. Okay.
send me an email. Send me an email. All right? Okay, sure. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, I have your paper, sir. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you very, very much, uh, Alberto Rivera. No problem. Yeah. I don't know all your names, so. Okay, so that's that CD in there is yours. Okay, your. Give me his. Yeah.